cuss a lot. Hey, good evening. Welcome to another episode of Uncorked Poji Podcast. I'm here with my guest, Zaji. Oh, I got it right today. Ew. <laughs> um, those of you who saw uh, the promo, Zaji is a poet, published, freelance writer, author, witch, sorceress, mermaid, priestess, and conjurer. Mother lovers. Yes. All of those are very, very interesting. And I cannot wait to dive into this interview. But before I do that, first and foremost, good evening, Zaji. How are you today? I am good. I am very good. Yay. Um, how has your week been so far? So far, it's been interesting. It's been busy. I've been working all week. Uh, I had a birthday this week. Happy um, birthday. It's on the 26th. So I'm one year younger. Mm -hmm. Yes, you are. That's how that works. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so pretty much I just worked. So the week the week was uneventful, except for my birthday. Got a few nice little gifts here and there. So, yeah. Nice. Uh, did you get everything you wanted for your birthday, including that BMW, or did that happen? Did that no, well, you know, they, they said they were going to deliver it, and then something happened on the boat. And I, don't, I just don't understand these things. I don't get it. Yeah, it's exactly. Too much. Exactly. It's too much. I, I just don't get it. As far as everything I want, I'm breathing. And so for now, that is everything I need. Oh, man. So I absolutely love your aura. We're not even in the same room. Like, we're not even in the same state. And I can still feel your aura. Is that a thing that just naturally happens? Like, you just have this part about you that just kind of um, uh, pushes out into the universe? Have you found that you're just that person or did you have to work hard to become this kind of grounded um, or a giving person? People have been telling me that since I was a child, actually, interestingly, it's, there's always been something people say, Oh, I gravitate to you. And it could be in any kind of way. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I don't know if it's because of how I see the world, because I actually don't think we're far away from each other. We are in the presence of each other. Hmm. No. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, how did you, um, as we as we grow and as we learn and move about the universe, we all start to do so in our own realities. How did you find a reality that works for you? And as a person who's coming up or um, a person who's trying to find their reality, how would you suggest they go about finding their true self? That's a big question. I'm so sorry. It is a big question. But I think it, it has to start with one primary ingredient. Mm, Be your authentic self. Mm. If you are not your authentic self, you won't find anything. And nothing will find you. You'll become a magnet, right? That will either attract or repel, depending on your positive and negative charge, right? So you have to create the charge in your life that you want to be so that the things that are not for you will push away and the things that are for you will gravitate to you. Then you don't have to do extra work. Your DNA doesn't have to work like a horse for the right things and people to come to you. So it really starts with you being authentic. And when you're authentic, authenticity to me, it's like, pheromones, right? I believe we actually give off sense, like odors. We give off, we give off something that others can actually feel no different than a pheromone. So I think when we're authentic or have any emotion, anger or anything, I think we actually physically give 
that off and people pick it up and know whether to mess with you or not mess with you. Know whether to be kind to you or unkind to you. And that can only stem from a place of authenticity. I knew it. I knew it. I mother loving knew it. I'm so glad that we we're talking today. I knew it. Freaking knew it. Okay. <laughs> so um, before we get into your first poem, um, I have another question. Um, this is a big question and uh, maybe a small question because like, you're like wicked enlightened. Um, what does the word brave mean to you? What does that feel like to you? Brave? Mm -hmm. What does the word brave mean to me? I don't know how to answer that because for me, the word doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. The word doesn't make sense. If, if I'm just being my authentic self, then I don't have to be anything. Mm. I don't have to be brave or not brave. Whatever it is I need exists there for me. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing really for me to be. I mean, brave, brave presupposes that I'm not already that thing, mm -hmm. right? And, and I think if we're already a thing, we don't need any words to describe it. So brave doesn't resonate with me. What resonates with me is authenticity. And some people might perceive me speaking my mind as being brave, but I don't perceive it that way. I perceive it like a fish perceives water. It doesn't say, oh, I'm breathing water. <laughs> it, it just, just is. is. Right. And for me, when you're authentic, whatever comes from that just is what it is. And, and so I don't feel as though I'm being brave when I'm speaking. I, I just perceive it is what it is. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. I love that so much. Um, can we hear one of your amazing poems, please? Let me read one. Yeah. Um, I had I had four and couldn't decide which one I wanted to do, but I'm gonna try this one. Okay. This is called Daughters of Tomorrow. <clears throat> I stitched together silk cocoons to wrap you inside disinherited love and long lost wisdom. I darned your breath with mighty voices from the past. So you would cry freedom even before you could walk. I pushed and pushed until your soul birthed monarch wings, big enough to take you around the world so you could see all the things ripped from our still tight fists. Cry freedom, open hands and spread fingers like wings to the sky so your life mapped palms can shout, thank the sun for exhaling can shout and thank the sun for exhaling life. Let fly the centuries of bloodshed, bald and angry and frightened fists, because they have become dust and no longer have a place in tomorrow. Who are you in this moment, my children? You are the daughters of tomorrow, drowning struggles so your daughter's daughters will not have to. So they won't need to tread waters to find themselves. You are already here in tomorrow's house littering oak stairs with silk cocoons stitched with inherited love and wisdom reclaimed. Holy shitballs. <laughs> okay, already here in tomorrow's, is that what you said? Daughters of tomorrow. And uh, that last part was, um, oh, you wanted to hear, who are you in this moment, my children? You are the daughters of tomorrow, drowning struggles so your daughter's daughters will not have to. 
so they won't need to tread waters to find themselves. You are already here in tomorrow's house. I love that line so much. You are already here in tomorrow's house. I think that is so, um, one, like representative of change, actual physical, emotional, social, soul change. But mm -hmm. also I think it's representative of the want for all those things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that so much. I One, I like the rhythm. The rhythm was really, really cool. But the message behind it, um, what I took from it was um, kind of like a, a congratulations to the children that we have and also a kind of a push for them mm -hmm. to move forward. Like you did a great job, but we still have more work to do. Exactly. That's what it sounded like to me. Yes, 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 definitely. I love that so much. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Um, okay, when you get a burst of creativity, what does that feel like to you? Is it like a light bulb or like a flash of genius or like do you drop everything and run into the other room and find paper? Like what does a burst of inspiration feel like or look like for you? Exhaling. 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 It's exhaling. It's like exhaling life and also like a birth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what it feels like. It's. It's interesting. It, there's a there's a peace that comes with it. Just the ah moment, like okay, I've done it. Right. That's how like, I feel. I know what's what I need to do now. Like yeah, <sighs> exactly. Um, how old were you when you realized that you could move people with your words? What was that realization like? Junior high school. Yeah. Uh, I, I was writing poetry from junior high school, but then I also participated in storytelling contests. So I memorized an 11 minute story called The Angel. Oh, Lord have mercy. Yeah, 11 minute story called The Angel by Hans Christian Anderson. And I started winning awards for it. I won at the, just the school level. Then I won at, what come, I forget the, the test, but I made it up to the state level. Storytelling contest, and that day I got sick and I had a cold, so I couldn't project, and so that's what stopped me from going to the next level. But my story was killing it because it's a wonderful story, very touching, very sad. Everybody would cry when they when I read that story. Well, I didn't read it; I just eleven minutes, honey. I don't know how I did it, but I memorized eleven minutes verbatim the story. Okay, for those of you who don't perform, it is so incredibly hard to memorize <laughs> 11 minutes verbatim. I, okay, I just memorized a poem that ended up being seven minutes. Um, and that was without stops. And even then, that was challenging. Mm -hmm. 11, mother 11 minutes, first of all. Yeah, in junior high school, like that's nuts. I, I was so dumb in junior high school, but you out there like putting stuff together, winning championships and stuff, that's, Really fucking cool. Yeah, so that's when I, I realized I could move people with stories. At that time, it wasn't my story, but I knew a good story. I knew what a good story looked like, and I picked a story and memorized it and was winning. And I was like, wow, I, I still have my little award. <laughs> I'm like, wow, good. I can do this? Okay, let me start writing some of my own. 
<laughs> um, do you have any storytellers in your life? Has anyone helped you in this journey of um, telling you and others? Well, my grandmother and some family members used to tell me stories. Uh, from In Jamaica, we have things called Anansi stories, and they're about spiders. And there were little funny, quirky stories that were just, just hilarious. And so throughout my life, I was always hearing these little Nancy stories or just stories to various plays. There's this uh, woman, Miss Lou, that we used to listen to, a Jamaican comedian, many years ago. And just so, so many of these things just kind of ripened me for wanting to be able to tell my own stories from my own point of view. Uh -huh. I got so entrenched in um, your awesomeness, I forgot to ask you, hey, where are you from? <laughs> <laughs> I'm originally from Jamaica, West Indies. That's where I was born. And I came to America when I was about 10 days away from turning five years old mm. on the May 16th. And here I am. <laughs> okay, Zaji, I have to share this with you and I'm yeah. sure you won't care, but I have to share anyway. So when you moved here May 16th, that is the birthday of Janet Jackson, and I am a huge Janet Jackson fan. Oh, um, wow. Humongous. Uh, fanatic. I should never meet her in, purpose, in person. It should never happen. <laughs> no, but I think that's very interesting. That is interesting. Um, when you moved here as a four or five-year-old, did you, was it hard for you to assimilate? Um, into, I guess, I guess at that age pre-K. Um, do you remember having um, any problems moving forward as a child? And do you think you would be who you are today without that move? I, I don't think I had a problem assimilating into the culture. Mm -hmm. I think for me though, education was always a problem because I learned differently. And maybe I learn differently because I think differently, right? Mm -hmm. So my mind, I'm bored. I was bored with the things that they were teaching me. I think maybe because it wasn't advanced enough for me. My mind is on 10 while they're still trying to teach me two. So now when they give me a test on two, I'm not doing well on two because I'm already on 10. You need to talk to me about 10. Can we, <laughs> can we get it popping? Let's go. You see what I'm saying? I'm hearing the cosmos and you down here talking about some stuff I don't want to hear about. You want to talk about television and all of this. I'm here trying to find out about the quasars and earthworms. Can we? Mm. <laughs> you see, so I had a little problem with education because I think I just wanted to be somewhere else. I wanted to talk about things that I found interesting. And I think this education system is a detriment to us, I think it, it keeps us from really exploring ourselves in the world in the way that we really should and could for ourselves and for our personal DNA, right? So my way of learning is, to me, learning is a fingerprint. But this culture doesn't see it as a fingerprint. They, they see learning as road and everybody should learn the same thing. But no, my fingerprint learning, way of learning is different and every single person's fingerprint is different. And when you teach everyone in the classroom the same way, I think that forces them to conform to in a way that's unhealthy for their psychology and physiology because it causes stress and adrenaline and things like that and anxiety, right? So I think if more people started seeing their way of learning like a fingerprint, 
then we'd realize that each person has to see the world the way they see it. Hmm. How would we go about implementing that? Um, I find that so interesting because I too learned different. Um, I was in, you know, special education classes because I just learned different. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't understand the way that they were teaching me. So how do we teach kids um, this individuality? I think we pay teachers more. I mean, one way is to pay teachers more, but it's the other way is to also teach teachers about the different learning styles. Like, for example, one thing that they did implement a long time ago that they need to kind of really push more in the schools is the recognition of the various learning styles, right? Not, I'm talking about a fingerprint, but at least the very least they did was introduce the three learning styles. There are people who are visual learners, auditory learners, and tactile learners. Right. So okay. there's people who learn by touch the best by doing hands on. There's some people who learn by reading and there's some people who learn best by hearing it, listening to it. So at the very least, they recognize that there are different learning styles and where different people are stronger in those things. But I think they need to now take that further and realize that it's more like a fingerprint. And it's right. even vaster, much more vast than just three. Yes. Yes. Um, do you think there's, um, I, I wouldn't even say it's Americans. It's, it's a worldly thing where we have this obsession with um, the number three or the power three or listing things um, in that order. Do you think it would serve us as a people to broaden how we understand the way that we list things? Um, do you think we could grow more as as a people mm -hmm. if we allowed ourselves to think beyond what we're taught? Yes. Let me give you an example of why I say that. I may fumble the story a little bit, but there was this little boy and his teacher, you know, like uh, elementary school, the teacher said, you have three antelopes plus one lion, or three antelopes minus one lion, how many antelopes do you have left? Or it was something something almost similar like that. It was something where she, they were using animals to do the numbers and then you have to minus one animal and mm -hmm. how many you have left. I forget the exact way it was worded, but the kid kept getting it wrong. And the teacher was like, oh, you know, after a while she was like, I think, you know, there's something wrong. I think he has maybe a learning disability. And so the parent queried a little further and it turns out the kid wasn't getting it wrong from his point of view. He says, you can't minus a lion. A lion is a carnivore and will eat the antelope. So there is no leftover antelope. <laughs> what up? Whoa, shit. You see what I mean? Yes. Right. Hmm. <laughs> We have to be aware of the cultural perspectives of others. Mm -hmm. Just like me coming from Jamaica, what they would always do was put Jamaicans back a year in, in grade. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter how smart we were. And under the British education, Jamaicans were actually a little brighter than the American system mm -hmm. at the time. But they would always put us, put Jamaicans back a grade, right? But the issue is, 
like let's say I came to America, right? And they show me a picture. They're now they're gonna gauge what grade I go into. They show me a picture of a squirrel, right? So now I'm looking at this picture coming from Jamaica and I'm gonna say, um, that's a mongoose. Now, why am I saying that's a mongoose? First of all, you, they're similar in their body, but why am I saying that's a mongoose? Because that's the only thing I can liken it to because squirrels don't exist in Jamaica. So why would you even give me a test like that? How about that, right? So you now show me a pine tree. What's this, honey? Oh, it's a tree. What kind of tree? I don't know. Oh, you have a problem. You have a learning how you don't know what a pine tree looks like because there are no pine trees in Jamaica. So this is what they would do to us. They would give us tests that are culturally inappropriate, make it look like we're stupid when in fact you are not giving us culturally appropriate exams. Hmm. Right. So that's the problem overall, I think. I think a lot of times we're not only forgetting that we have to think about culture when we're putting things to people, but we also have to think about our, our learning fingerprint and what we've learned in the household up to that moment of coming into your school because we had a pattern of learning that we learned from our home. And now I'm coming into the school where your pattern of learning and way of teaching is completely different from mine. And now you want me to see the world the way you see it. It's just not gonna happen. It's not gonna work that way. It's not, not gonna work that way. Right? Oh my gosh. Um, I have so many more questions. Can we go into another poem and then I will ask you so many more questions. All right. All right, let's see. Let me try this one here. This one is called War Cry. Yes, <clears throat> I'm going to do War Cry. <laughs> okay. My hand slipped beyond my hem over soft rose and lily dyed pima cotton, finding its way to the underside of the church limb girl. The chapel bell forgot to ring today. A voice inside warned me to stop, to not give in to the ghost that whispered into my ear telling me to continue. Go on, she said. Forget the world. I am the voice of ancestors come to remind you of womanhood. I am your remembering, she whispered. But proper ladies do not lift their skirts except to pee. I didn't need to pee. I needed to rub the inside of my DNA, rub until something inside me was unearthed something the microscope could not see, rub until my moans reach Venus and the women there hiding on the unseen side of a hidden world, gathered their ships to journey to earth, determinedly traveling on the trail of my echoes. They heard a war cry. They heard me, their sister, calling them through time and space, tapping out Morris code on the tip of my clitoris. I am sending freedom calls, not messages welcoming the unknown to earth. I am tapping out freedom cries on my wild and waiting clitoris so something will come to save me, save us, the women of earth. So something will come to hear my war cry, my cry for freedom, my yearning to burn my church skirt so the gods will know that I am ready to set fire to everything that confines me to what it means to be woman in this place. This is a war cry, tapping out in Morris code on the tip of my clitoris. Listen, you will hear the SOS. Tap, 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 tap. Then just as clear the war cry rising into the sky, I moan. 
The message reaches galaxies and I'm reminded that I am the woman who remembered Venus and beyond and Venus remembered me. I become Morris Code for women who long to join the war cry. Tap it out sisters, tap for freedom and the womanhood that lost itself in a time that threatens to be forgotten. This is not about pain and fear, this is a war cry for freedom. I send Morris code on the tip of my clitoris for the sisters who have forgotten how to cry freedom. Broham. <laughs> Broham. Okay. I I okay, listen. Ghosts that whispered in my ear. I find that line so incredibly interesting. Ghosts that whispered in my ear. Can you imagine what a ghost would say in your ear? That's so interesting. Um, I am your remembering. Oh! <laughs> I, 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 God damn it. Okay. Um, rub the inside of your DNA. Rub the inside of your DNA. And then when you hit this alliteration, that boy, oh boy, took me on a journey. Um, tapping out the Morse code, and then you you kept going with that line. That alliteration uh, made me happy on the inside parts. <laughs> I love alliterations. Love, love, love them. I, I thought that was great. And then I, I felt drawn to burn my church skirt. What, is, what does that mean to you, burn my church skirt? Burn my, just... Let go of all the, how do I say it? Burn my church skirt for me is to really just burn the notions of anything and everything that confines you or confines us to what it means to be a woman on earth. So when I say burn my church skirt, I'm also burning every kind of religious, um, icon, religious symbol, anything that says I'm woman and woman has to behave this way. I'm woman and woman has to stay in this place. Woman has to wrap her face. And you know, a lot of times, you know, women will say, oh, well, that's my choice. I think women have not been given a choice. I think the things that we think we're choosing are not really our choice, right? Because we're earth and I think we are confined to a way of thinking and being hmm. right and that thinking and being has been developed by what uh, what's this author's name I've been reading the book I can't remember her name off the top though but what this author would call mediocre white men hmm. who have have been running the culture and so these are the kinds of of ideologies that we've taken on as to what it means to be woman in this culture. And I think if we think about our existence in terms of burning our church skirt, that means that would mean to burn all ideologies that attach us to what this culture thinks woman should be. Hmm. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> um. What does your uh, writing process involve? Um, how do you sit down and write? Do you write in the daytime, nighttime? Do you need something with you in order to produce um, any kind of writing? I just let the ghosts come when they come. That is the best fucking answer. Oh my God. 
I just let the ghosts come when they come. I just let the ghosts come when they come. You know, whenever you want to come through that wall and roll up in here behind me and move my pen, I'm here. Have you ever found yourself um, apprehensive or even afraid of um, not the afterlife, but I guess a ghost or um, a universe that most people aren't readily um, in tone with, like in tune with? Are, are you? Are you ever afraid of opening yourself too much to a different realm? No, not no. really. Yeah, because I know, <clears throat> because um, living in this realm and existing in this realm has made me completely unafraid of another realm because I find this realm apprehensible. It's terrifying. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I often tell people, <clears throat> if reincarnation exists, I ain't coming back here. And if I find out who, if I find out that I don't have a choice and who assigned me here, I'm gonna beat their ass. <laughs> I'm trying to go to Jupiter. Is what I'm saying. I, I ain't coming back. I'm going to another galaxy. I ain't gonna be mm. no accident. <laughs> galaxy, get us. Time to go. Another galaxy. So yeah, I have no fear of anything else that could be out there. I know so many movies try to make us fearful, but I think that's a trick. No, you're not making me fearful because y'all are problematic right here. So, and I all that stuff you create, I ain't seen that. I see you and what you're doing here on earth. So hmm. I'm not afraid of any other possible reality. Absolutely not, not in the least. Not even a little bit. <laughs> um, what type of love behavior pulls you in? Um, what is it a person would do to um, make them, not make them love, make you love them, but what kind of behaviors represent love to you? Behaviors, if you can sit and read to me, mm. read to me, if you can lay with me on the porch, we both lay on our back and look up at the stars and talk about everything and anything. Mm -hmm. If you can, if you are open to any possibility, that for me is my love. That's my love language. That's what I mm -hmm. see as love. Someone who can be open to talk about any possibility and not not shun a possibility because I believe anything is possible. So I should be able to talk about it. So that's what I consider love. Just having that ability to just turn things over with someone, you know, like what if we currently live in a parallel universe and not some other universe out there, but like right in my room right now, a whole family is walking around and living in another vibration. That's so cool. And when I, and every now and then, I appear to them and they call me a ghost. <laughs> Yo! <laughs> that is so interesting. Like if we are living in this realm and by somehow, some chance, some miraculous whatever, we present ourselves to someone else in another realm, we would be the fucking ghosts. We're their, we're their ghosts. Yeah, we're a ghost to them. We, 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 we materialized for a moment. We were 
transparent. They're like, well, what was that? But it's because something misaligned and caused our two dimensions to kind of for a minute go in flux. And I appeared for a moment and they're like, whoa, did you see that? It was a woman. Yes, I'm their ghost. Oh my God, what if we are the ghost to the people in another realm? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we need to drink together. Yep. Yes, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Um, God, God damn it, that's so cool. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I had another question, but fuck that question. Um, <laughs> do you think that um, when a person dies, a part mm -hmm. of, I don't even, I'm not sure if I want to call it soul, a part of themselves um, mm -hmm. goes out into the ether, whatever that is, because we don't know. Um, do you think a piece of that person stays within the space in which they died? So are there pieces of people um, floating around everywhere we go? I believe that's possible, but I also believe, how do I say this? Okay, H2O, mm -hmm. right? We all know what H2O is. Mm -hmm. When H2O is solid, we call it ice. Mm -hmm. When H2O is liquid, we call it water. When H2O is just air or with steam, we call it steam, right? It never stops being H2O, however. I believe that's the nature of us. I believe right now we're ice, right? And one day we're going to become water and then one day steam. But we'll all, I'll always be Zaji. H2O, replace H2O with Zaji, right? So I am now Zaji as ice. And one day I'll be Zaji as liquid and one day Zaji as steam. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. Um, I think that I think that brings a whole new um, understanding and kindness and love to those who take the time to ingest it. I think that is really, really cool. Yeah, and I so I think that is an entire possibility. So in saying that, does water have a confining place, right? Water wears rock. Water can flow anywhere, right? Steam can flow anywhere, right? It's only ice that sometimes tends to have a confining place. But once I become water and once I become steam, I lose all confinement. <laughs> God damn it, Zaji. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes it has to be first of all this can't be it like i i just i don't believe that i don't believe that this is it i believe in other realms i believe in other dimensions because i i think it is um almost cocky of us to think that we are the only beings uh within our right now i i think i think it um it speaks to the mind of those people to think that we're the only thing because are you the only thing on earth? Mm. Right. And just because you don't know what is at the depths of the ocean, does that mean it doesn't exist? You're just now starting to get down to certain depths. You haven't even reached the depths of the ocean to see what some of these creatures look like. You haven't reached the depths of the soil to see what else is there beyond just worms that don't need to surface because there's creatures in the bottom of the ocean that never surface. And unless you go down, you're not gonna see them ever. So there could be creatures in the soil 
deep down in parts that we have not been able to drill yet because we still don't have the technology that are huge and don't need to surface like worms do, right? You got to look at worms like dolphins and those kind and whales, those kinds of fish that require surfacing every now and then. That Those are worms, but there could be other creatures just like in the ocean where they have no need to ever surface for anything. And so you don't even know they exist. So our lack of ability to see something does not mean it doesn't exist. Yes. Yes. And so if, if that's our existence on earth, where there are things that we can't see on earth that we slowly but surely layer by layer begin to discover, then what makes you think that that same layering function does not exist as we move out into the cosmos? And there's things that exist that we can't see. You know, the way I tell it to people, I say to them, I want you to imagine this. In another galaxy on a planet, there's creatures there living, existing, and whatever. Maybe they breathe, breathe mercury. Right? They don't breathe oxygen. They breathe something else. And imagine they're sitting there arguing with each other, saying, what are you talking about? There's nothing else that lives out there. Meanwhile, we're sitting here. And they're like, no, come on, it's just us. You, what? Something that breeds something? No. I just, we Look, we can't go anywhere. So here it is. We can't travel outside of this kind of Milky Way. We can't travel outside of it. Why is it so hard for us to believe that there's other creatures on the another place that also can't travel outside because they have not evolved with the ability to travel outside of their galaxy either? We have to consider that maybe a whole lot of things are evolving at the same time and are at the same point. So simply because you can't leave Earth to see if something's out there doesn't mean it's not there because something else could be out there can't leave its planet to come see you. Boom. Yes. All the yes. All the yes. Um, I, I want to go into another poll, but I have so many questions. Okay. Um, how, how do you think... That's boring. Um, <laughs> do you think that it is the job? Oh, that's better. Okay. Do you think that it is the job of those who are enlightened to, I guess, um, bring those who are not out of the matrix, so to say, um, for those who are enlightened and in tune with the universe, it is it that sector or that group of people's job to enlighten others? I only have one job, mm -hmm. one job to drop seed. Now, if you decide not to give that seed sun and water, then that's your business. But I'm dropping seed. And after that, it's your responsibility to nurture that seed so that it can grow. Right. So it's not my responsibility to so much bring people to the light, but I think it is my responsibility to plant seeds. And I don't have to sit there to see if you wake up. That's not my job. I'm not gonna be like, oh, didn't you get it? Uh, no, I planted a seed. What do you mean, Zaji? You think about that, I'll see you. <laughs> if you don't wanna think about it, you don't. But what I find that does happen is you can't erase anything that's said to you. It doesn't matter what is said to you. If, if I, The example I give, give is if somebody's, if I'm walking down the street and I say blue, to somebody, the color blue, just scream at them, blue, and walk away. 
they don't know what the hell I was saying or why, but they're never going to forget the fact that some weirdo said blue. And then maybe 10 years down the road, something's going to happen and they're going to be like, oh, you know what? Now I see why that person said blue, because look at what's happening on earth and to me and blah, blah, blah. Now I get it. You can't erase what's said to you. So I drop seeds and I be on my merry way. I don't argue. I don't fight. I don't fuss. If you want to be upset about the seed I dropped, that's all you. But one thing you're going to do is remember that I told you that when some shit go down. Hoo-wee! Okay. Um, can we go into um, another poem and then, again, several questions? Okay. Cool. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay. Memories in a can. I think I'll do this one. Memories in a can. She was dying not from disease. It was much more invasive than that. There is no vaccine for pain. No vaccine for the insecurity he bred inside her, turning her into a genetic modification of her former self. Her soul is now broken ribs from steel toe boots. No vaccine for immortal memories she wished would expire. Memories as long as those remembered by ancient gods who watch as their creations die. Centuries old rubble fade to dust with each sunset. Her memories are canned goods created for disasters, made to last until the can is opened, unnaturally preserved life oozing from the cut metal. She was dying by the inch, dying from the fist that blackened her eye five years ago, just after, her, just after he proposed to her dying from the lover who told her her tits were too small, dying from memories of the child who slipped from her womb, still unmoved by life's promises, dying from the canned love preserved in salt and bitterness. There is no vaccine for betrayal, no vaccine to heal the cut wrists she sees, no, to heal the cut wrists. She sees the sun rise tomorrow, but life is only memories in the can preserved the dying soul. Zaji. Yes, ma'am. Bro. Yes, ma'am. Holy shitballs. Okay. Um, no vaccine for pain. Uh, not only is that like apropos, apropos for right the fuck now, but in any, I think in any generation after like the 1940s can truly understand and feel what it means to need the need for vaccines, right? And then that there's no vaccine for pain. I think that line is genius. Absolutely genius. I love that. Um, her memories are canned goods. Her memories are canned goods. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to last forever. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Um, dying by the inch. I, I felt that on several different levels. Dying by the inch which just seems so painful and slow, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And then when you're talking about the, the stillborn child, um, mm -hmm. he said still unmoved by life's promises. Um, I, I've never lost a child, but I would, I would only guess that that line is the closest to understanding 
what it's like to let go of a piece of yourself mm-hmm. without your wanting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I absolutely love that poem. Absolutely love it. It is heart-wrenching and beautiful and kind and informative and hard and important. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I love that poem. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. Holy shit, Tard. Okay, like I said, I cuss a lot. Um, what, well, I just, I just want to say for everyone watching and everyone who's going to listen to the, the podcast that at one point I usually talk to the artist before uh, we go live and you and I were talking and you're talking about, um, the need to not govern how other people live their lives. Although you demand and, um, those who you have a certain way of living your life, mm-hmm. but you don't demand that others, um, join this reality with you. Right. And I think that's really important. Can we talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, and I can speak to the example I gave you. If, for me, it's no different than, you know, if if, uh, if a white person called me nigger, right? Mm-hmm. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. But what I find with people because of of ego and because of narcissism, when someone hears you say that, they hear does that mean you don't you don't want me to beat that ass if he called me nigga or you don't want me to tell him not to cut? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not gonna govern what you do. Like if if I don't care if he calls me nigger and you care and you beat his ass, I'm actually gonna cheer you on and be like, whoop that ass. Whoop that ass. But I don't care if he calls me nigger because I care about him touching me. Don't fucking touch me. That's what I care about. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to tell anyone that they have to only care about what I care about. If you want to beat his ass, beat him. I'll stand you his hands. Put, uh, his, put your, your boot print in that neck. <laughs> <laughs> I would cheer you on. Straight up, you're going to catch his hands. Don't do it to yourself. And so that's just how I see life, you know? I, I And I think people should stop translating what I, a person likes or doesn't like into I'm judging what you like or don't like, or I'm telling you not to do this thing or telling you how to feel because I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't care if anyone calls me nigger, don't touch me because to, from my observation of history, the problem hasn't been what they've said to me, the problem has been what they've done to me. So my major concern is don't be putting me on no noose don't beat me, don't drag me behind a car until my head pop off, just leave me alone. I don't care what you call me, leave me alone. That's all I can, don't burn no cross in my yard. I don't care what you call me. But if you care and you wanna beat his ass, I'm here for it, girl, go ahead, whoop him. You're gonna touch his hands. Huh? Whoop every day, twice on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's just how I see it. I think people need to begin respecting other people's way, other people's, emotional mental fingerprint let's talk about fingerprints i found that so interesting you and i were talking um offline um we were talking about the uh learning as a fingerprint and Mm -hmm. fingerprint learning can we uh dive into that for a second what is fingerprint learning to you for me everyone learns differently they've given us the, the 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 overview of what learning is and then they told us there are three different ways that people learn. They eventually figured out, oh, people do learn differently. So now you have your auditory learners, your visual learners, your tactile learners, right? And so they've identified those three ways in which people learn. But the way I see it, along with those three ways, I think still 
every human being has a learning fingerprint. There's still a way in which every single person learns that is still minutely different from how another person learns. Even if me and you are visual learners, it does not matter. I think that our visual fingerprint now will be different. So you may learn visually by looking at uh, a painting or whatever, but maybe it's something else that I look at that I'll learn differently from that visual cue, yeah. right? So I think we also have a learning fingerprint that we need to respect between each human being. You're damn right. You're damn right we do. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, that's boring. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Okay. Um, what does, no, where does your feeling of grounding come from? Um, where are you, where's your peace located? Where's my peace located? My peace is in the corridors of my mind. Oh, God damn it. Yeah. What does that mean to you? That means that there's so many things around me that this culture has created that don't interest me. Mm -hmm. And I find that the place I find the most peace is in my mind, in the thing, in the world that I create in my mind, the world that I imagine could be if humans followed their own fingerprint, right? So <clears throat> that's what I, and, and not force everyone into their fingerprint. You know, like everyone wants everyone to be the same, uniform. Like some religions, you have to wear the same clothes, like the Amish. I think that's disruptive to each human's fingerprint. I don't I don't tell them they should stop. That's your business. <laughs> I really don't care, but I just think that we disrupt collectively our peace when we start to conform to to a way of being that someone else has forced on us and made us feel as though, oh no, you gotta you gotta do that. You gotta do that or else. If you don't do that, God is going to punish you. So, so we find ways to scare each other outside of acting in our authenticity. Mm, mm, mm. Um, where do you get your strength from? Um, is there a place that you go to uh, replenish after a hard day? How do you get your strength back from the universe? I, I visit, um, I visit daily. I, Sometimes I'll call up and make appointments with silence and, you know, silence. I schedule silence. appointments with silence. <laughs> I was like, who's silence? Like, who's how do we get an appointment? <laughs> silence. silence. That's where I go to replenish. I, I sit in a space of silence and just introspection. Mm -hmm. So that, that's how I replenish. I just be still. Just, I be, I'm still. Yeah, uh, I don't know if I can do that. I would try my best. It is so hard for me to just like stop. I'm yeah. so used to being, I like to be busy. I, I enjoy being busy. Mm -hmm. um, have you found that to be a thing of your past or your present? And if so, how have you moved past it? 
being busy? Yeah. Well, the oh. need to be busy. The need or want to be busy. Oh, I don't have a need to be busy at all because I think life and existence is busy enough. So hmm. I don't have any need to be busy. What I have a need to uh, to be is to be left alone. <laughs> <That's my need. laughs> Leave me alone so I don't got to be busy. The only busy I want to be is climbing a mango tree, son. But <laughs> mm. I, mm. I just want to climb a mango tree and sit on the water and eat my mango and write a story in the sand. I don't. <laughs> That's what I want. Write a poem in the sand or, you know. Just like, uh, just like um, long ago, people would carve animals and people on cave walls. Well, I want to write a poem on a cave wall. Hmm? How about that? Oh, that'd be so fun. God damn it, that'd be so cool. All right, uh, <laughs> two more questions, and then we're going to get up out of here. Um, hmm. I just asked you that question just a weird way. Um, oh, OK. How do you think selfish, selfless? How do you think selflessness in a person affects the universe or space around them? And how do we get out of the natural human need and or want to be selfish? Well, I think, I think the problem is that people don't realize how selfishness affects their own DNA and their own vibration, right? We're often so busy wanting what we want, we don't think about how we're personally affected. Me, I think about how the whole planet is affected by my vibration because everything we do vibrates out, right? We're just a grain of sand on a beach. Of uh, It's like, for me, I call it a, a grain of sand on the beach of the galaxy, right? So Earth is a grain of sand on the beach of the galaxy. And so just think about all the grains of sand you see on the beach and imagine yourself attempting to find earth on that beach. Uh -huh. Exactly. <laughs> and so just imagining that humbled me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa, I'm, I'm significant, but then I'm not, right? And so how do I affect the larger ecosystem of existence on earth and the cosmos, everything, because we all collectively vibrate out. Uh, I think uh, the word I was I learned a while back was egregore. We, we just kind of vibrate yeah. out this kind of collective kind of consciousness. And so I try to be mindful of the consciousness that I vibrate out because a lot of people think, oh, it's being nasty to someone. No, I could be sitting in a room by myself. And if I'm thinking negative thoughts, I believe that affects the plants in my room. They've, they've tell, done this test. They know that our emotions affect our plants. So if you're at home, even in the presence of your plants and they start wilting or dying, you better start checking yourself. Check you to see what's going on inside of you that you're emanating into the air because the way I see it, every feeling is like a pheromone, right? And, and we give off pheromones and I think emotions give off chemicals and give off certain energy that affects everything around us. So I'm always mindful of how not only I affect the planet, but how that in turn comes back to affect me. Because if I'm being negative, I'm, I'm causing an imbalance with myself, right? I cause adrenaline and various things to, to change and that that's unhealthy. So I think if we want to really affect change, we have to also think about, you may say, I don't give a shit about that person. Well, give a shit about you then. 
Mm-hmm. Give a shit about you. Man, listen, okay. I think that is so very important and um, needed. Your your thoughts are as powerful as your strides. Like your the way that you think is just as powerful as the way you act. Mm-hmm. So if we start thinking positively with kindness and love, those things will become more apparent in our lives. If we think negatively and with malice and hating, 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 that will also present in our lives. And it goes back to um, the original idea of thinking, bringing good thoughts into your life in order to not just propel yourself, but propel the people around you, propel your environment Mm -hmm. to make everything and everyone around you better by your thoughts. Yes, and I think people feel our energy. They feel whatever it is we're feeling, they feel it. They may not have a name to put to it, but they can feel something. And it also, it shifts their energy. I mean, just think about it in your household. If, if a mother or a father is upset, how do the kids react? Mm. Right? We, we run around the world thinking, oh, I don't care what this person is. I don't, I'm not affecting that person. Well, in your household, how do your kids react? Do they not feel your energy? Won't your kid walk up to you? You haven't told them nothing. You haven't said a word. Mommy, are you okay? Mommy, you're going to be they, they know. And so why do we think as adults that other adults aren't feeling that too? Man, I, yes, yes. Um, before we go, can we talk a little bit about human eyes and soul eyes? Um, how do you look at not just your environment, but the universe around you with more than just your human eyes? How do you see everything around you? Wow. How do I see it? Hmm. It's hard to describe because there's no language for it. <laughs> Sorry. That's just cool as shit. Yeah, there's no real, there's some things that don't have language. They just are. I, when I look at a plant, I see a being, I see a person. I see an entity that feels and thinks Mm. and has families and babies and, you know, emotion, all of it. That's what I see when I look at a plant. When I look at a rock, I see an ancient being that has houses the memories of everything that has ever happened on this planet because the rocks were here first. Before the plants, before anything, before animals, the rocks were here. The rocks were here before water. Look at the moon. People say there was once water on the moon. Now it's just rocks, right? (laughs) The rocks are here and they house the memory of the entire planet. The rocks are the true storytellers if we listen. Right? Yeah, yeah. They will tell you the story of Earth. And so... That's how I see, that's just two examples of how I see the world, which is not through 
human eyes. I'm looking through soul eyes because I don't really hear many people talking about the rocks as living, breathing species, nope. entities that have memory. Like the rocks are like an old gray doctor from the village, old gray elder from the village walking around on a cane. Those are the rocks. And they know the entire story of the village of Earth. Okay. Um. <laughs> uh. <laughs> what? Yeah. What? I, could, I find you so incredibly interesting. Um, I could talk to you for absolutely hours, and I would love to just like sit down with like a like a pitcher of cheap beer because I'm frugal. And just talk about the universe. I don't be spending money like that. I don't like that shit. But <laughs> yes, yes. So my last question to you before we get out of here, and um, everyone, please go to her uh, website, which is uh, Zaji. I wrote it down. Oh, Zaji.com. Z a j i dot com. Z Zaji dot com. Z-A-J-I. Make sure you go check that out. Uh, dropping some crazy, crazy wisdom. Um, <laughs> I guess my last question to you is, when did you know that you were different? When did you know that you saw the universe different than your peers? Um, when did you know, and not just know, but understand that you weren't like everyone else? And how did that understanding manifest in the you we see right now? I have memories from three years old in Jamaica, but I also have a memory of a time before that. It, I, I can't tell you if it was the womb or something else, but it was just a, a time of darkness. I was in a dark space and in that, and I'm using dark in human terms, but it's in spiritual terms, it was what we would call dark, but I could see everything clearly. I could see everything around me. I could see the existence going on around me, movement and existence in this space of darkness, darkness as though, I don't know, maybe it was almost like, it was almost like being a bat, but with sight. You know, you don't need sound to, to know things are there. I had actual sight in darkness. And I remember that. And then I guess from three years old, I just started seeing the world, just really seeing the world and having experiences. And a lot of people say you can't have memories of three, but I, I had a memory of actually going to a drive-in movie. I didn't know what time in my life it was. I had no clue. And I was like, I just remember loving it so much to the point I wanted to open a drive-in theater, right? Because I just adored it. And then one day, just about eight Nine years ago, I was talking to my father and I was like, oh man, I was just, I, you know, I just remember this. We were talking about a bunch of stuff and it just came up and I was like, oh yeah, I remember going to a drive-in movie. I love it so much. I wish I could open a drive-in theater. And he was like, what did you say? I said, yeah, I remember going to a drive-in movie. I said, but I don't know where. I said, maybe I dreamed it. I don't know. He said, I took you to a drive-in movie when you were a child. He said, but that's not possible. You were only like three. <laughs> Okay. So, Possible. yeah. So I've just always kind of been, I've always been aware and alert to just seeing existence a little differently than others and just seeing things 
that that others don't readily see. And sometimes when I say it, then they're like, wow, it's like, that was so obvious. How come I never put word to it, put language to it? And so, yeah, I've, I've just always been that way as long as I can remember. That's really freaking cool. Really freaking cool. All right, you guys, uh, make sure you follow Zaji at thezaji.com. Um, are there any upcoming events or um, anything you want to plug? Uh, nope, nothing right now. Nothing All right. Uh, make sure you check out that website. Um, support Black artists, support all artists. And please, 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 uh, whatever she is selling in on her website, please go purchase it. Otherwise, I don't really have an otherwise, but I'd like you to go do that. We would all like you to go do that. <laughs> all right, Joe. Have a wonderful night. Remember, hurt people hurt people, so keep an eye on your pain. Stay safe. Godspeed. We'll see you next week. Do so. Thank you so much, Shy Guest. Zaji. I thought I said it like a like Zaji.